Todd Hipwell. I'm Leah Jarvis. And this is Rhymes with Orange. Joining me today is my co-host, is Rod Hipwell. Uh, some of you may remember him as our first guest in the inaugural episode of Rhymes with Orange. Um, we are delighted to have him back in the studio today as we talk to Dr. Adam English, one of his good friends. Take it away, Rod. Thank you, Leah. It's great to be back. Um, our guest today is Dr. Adam English. He is chair of the Department of Christian Studies and professor of Christian Theology and Philosophy here at Campbell University. Dr. English, can you tell us how you arrived here at Campbell University? I'm a native of Texas uh, originally, and in uh, 2003, I had an opportunity to come out to Campbell and took it, and we have loved North Carolina and loved Campbell University ever since, so we've made this place home. I think that's how a lot of us got here. Um, Dr. English is also author of two holiday-themed books, Uh, The Saint Who Would Be Santa Claus, The Life and Trials of Nicholas of Myra, and another titled simply Christmas. Um, Dr. English, can you tell us how you first became interested in St. Nicholas? I sure can. Uh, I had the opportunity, uh, thanks to Dr. Donna Waldron, to lead some study abroad trips to Italy. And in the course of that, I learned that uh, St. Nicholas is buried in Italy. And... um, I had an opportunity to go and study at his archives there at the tomb of St. Nicholas in Bari, Italy. And so from there, um, the research just kind of sprang into action, and, uh, and I got a sabbatical leave in order to write the book, and in 2012, uh, published The Life of St. Nicholas. Could you explain a little bit for people that haven't read your book um, how St. Nicholas uh has transferred into our culture of Santa Claus. So just a little, like, Cliff Notes version. Yeah, that's a, as you can imagine, it's that's a large-scale question, um, how we got Santa Claus uh, from St. Nicholas. You think St. Nicholas was a 4th century Christian bishop who lived on the coast of Turkey, the southern coast of Turkey. So then how did he get to the North Pole dressed in red, and uh, delivering presents around the world to children. Uh, obviously, there's a, there's a very lengthy journey. Uh, the shortest answer is to say it's Santa Claus is really a product of uh, the 19th century uh, America. Uh, you know, America at that time, um, people like John Pintard and Washington Irving in New York were looking, looking for heritage, and they turned to their Dutch ancestry. And to be Dutch is to have Santa Claus involved and uh, St. Nicholas. And so uh, they brought him kind of from the old world into America. And of course, they had to Americanize him, changing his name somewhat from uh, Santa Claus to Santa Claus and making him look less like a European bishop and more like a, a friendly grandfather in the form of St. Saint Nicholas Santa Claus. And so uh, obviously there's a, there's a long story. He gets tied up with the Coke commercials and um, put into movies and um, you know, given reindeer and, and all kinds of magical powers. Uh, so that's the short answer. Rumor has it that you got to um, be immersed in a whole conference of Santa Clauses during your St. Nicholas research. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. That was one of the big, um, I guess, just discoveries for me personally. Maybe I should have anticipated it, but I had no idea how many individuals there are 
around the country who have really devoted themselves to Santa Claus and, and portraying St. Nicholas. And I've, I've had a lot of time just to hang out with these, you know, somewhat overweight and bearded men <laughs> and, and, and learn from them. Uh, you know, it's wonderful because a lot of these guys are in retirement and they have found a ministry and a hobby and a way to really bring joy at this time of the year for lots and lots of kids and families. So, uh, you know, that was one of the unexpected just joys of studying St. Nicholas is to find all these wonderful people who've really given so much to the season. So what was something that surprised you the most about researching St. Nicholas? One thing I had not known... when I first started research about St. Nicholas is uh, I always thought of him, of course, like many people as a jolly uh, gift giver, you know, kind of rotund uh, grandfatherly figure. Uh, but there was a story that, that jumped out almost immediately at me about Nicholas slapping uh, one of his colleagues uh, at this Council of Nicaea. And so you'll see on Facebook and, you know, social media, different memes about, uh, you know, Santa Claus, uh, you know, showing up with presents and he just ran out of presents. So he's going to start slapping everybody and, and these kinds of things. Um, so there was a medieval story in which uh, St. Nicholas is at this very famous Council of Nicaea that we know he was in attendance at. And one of the arch heretics, the, the big enemy at the council, was this guy named Arius. And in the 1300s, um, I guess just to make St. Nicholas cool, uh, they had Nicholas uh, slapping him. And, and uh, so you'll see in a lot of medieval art, uh, Nicholas yeah, slapping another individual, you know, upside the head. And so... <laughs> You know, that's just a really surprising side to Santa Claus when you first see some of these images and hear the stories. And then, again, you go out there on, on social media and you find these memes. People have picked up on it uh, as part of his story. Uh, Santa, you know, punching heretics and handing out presents. Uh, <laughs> it's a little ironic, the Forget- slap and then here's a present. Yeah, exactly. Forget the lump of coal. That's right. <laughs> the, the saint who would be Santa Claus was published in 2012. And I know you uh, have been working on some things since then. Where, have your, where has your research taken you since that book? My first interest was in uh, this original historical person, St. Nicholas. And I very quickly realized I, I couldn't just tell that story. We had to connect it to the story of Christmas and then the story of Santa Claus, which, which is kind of the story of the commercialization and the domestication of all of those traditions. Um, so since then, I've, I've been working more on uh, the, the practices and, and traditions of Christmas. I've had an opportunity here at Campbell to teach a course on Santa Claus in the honors program, uh, which has always maybe one of those eyebrow raisers. You're, you have a course on Santa Claus, but uh, it's been a just a fantastically fun course to offer. And, you know, it, it really is... Um, uh, one of those interdisciplinary, wide-ranging courses. We're doing history, we're doing culture, we're doing sociology, we're doing art study, um, and and it, literary study. And so it's uh, a really wide-ranging course. Um, and at the the end of that course, the last time I I taught it, I had the students uh, write some holiday short stories, 
And out of that, we had a, a Christmas edition of the Lyricist get published. And so it's it's resulted in some surprising um, and really fun um, activities from, you know, all, all from that initial research into St. Nicholas. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the Lyricist, can you explain what that publication is? Absolutely. Uh, the English department annually st- produces a, a volume of student poetry and short stories called The Lyricist. And so I went to them with uh, a plea to, to publish a special edition uh, of Christmas stories that came out of this honors class. So, yeah, I'm really thankful to Gina Peterman and, and Bert Wallace and Ann Ortiz and uh, Dean Wells for uh, supporting all of this great work. Well, speaking of publications, um, you published a second book called Christmas. Uh, I'm actually using it as decoration in my house because I have a signed copy. It's all about kind of pairing our American Christmas traditions with the story of Jesus and how um, that ties together and how it doesn't go together. Um, What did you learn during that process of research and writing that book? Yeah, Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate that uh, shout out of of the newer book. Uh, that was a real discovery for me um, because, you know, I think when we come to Christmas, uh, we think, at least when I grew up, Christmas was either a religious celebration of the birth of Jesus or it was a completely secular, consumer-driven celebration of greed and <laughs> and gift-giving. Um, and in really looking at the at the history and the traditions and, and, and all of that, I, I realized that, uh, you know, that's not the case. I mean, we, we're human beings who are not just religious spirits. Um, you, you know, we're also flesh and blood and, and we, you know, we need those kinds of annual holiday traditions with family. And, um, so, I, you know, I've, I've come to have a much more complex view of Christmas. Uh, again, I, I grew up and, you know, there was really only, Uh, kind of one meaning of Christmas, and that was, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, and and everything else was just pagan or secular. And and I've begun to realize, you know, there's there's a much better balance there to to celebrate the joys of of Jesus and the biblical story, but also to really enjoy, you know, the festive occasion of gift giving and and family decoration and uh, being together with friends and singing carols. Uh, you know, I think all those things are part are what make us human, really. Speaking of decorations, do you all have um, any inflatable decorations in your yard by chance? <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. No, we don't. Uh, and if my wife is listening, <laughs> you know, maybe she can uh, she can help us out. She uh, uh, she does not uh, really like inflatable decorations, and so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've tried to sneak some in, but she's threatened to just slash them uh, to the ground. So, um, yeah, I try to decorate outside, but uh, nothing really fantastic like an inflatable. I really want one of those two-story Santa Clauses in front of my house. Well, um, my family, we've always been very traditional in our decoration, red and green, no inflatables, no flashy lights, no colored lights, always white. Um, but there's this house that I pass. My family lives in Virginia. Um, they're in Danville. So if you take 86, you go straight up to, to Virginia, and there's this lady on in Eflin on the side of 86, and her entire yard, I mean, she lives on probably three acres. Her entire yard is covered in inflatables, ranging from Mickey Mouse in a train to Santa Claus popping out. And then at the front of the road, there's just a um, army of toy soldiers. 
and I mean, she, it was, it, the first thing she did was Christmas, and now it kind of spills out into Halloween. She's got like the, the Headless Horseman, and then there's an Easter with Snoopy. I mean, she goes all out. Well, you know, I would, I mean, if I could uh, maybe make a theological point on that, <laughs> and that wonderful description of what's happening in Danville. I, you know, I've been to some of these just crazy Christmas houses. There's one in the Kansas City area known as the Penguin House, which has, it's just what it says, it's a, a million penguin inflatables in the yard. And, and you know, one thing I, I think is really important is that, you know, Christmas can remind us not to take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I think we just, I think we take ourselves too seriously. And I, I think even when it comes to our Christian faith, um, yes, we absolutely want to take the gospel seriously. We absolutely want to take uh, the needs of the world seriously and our responsibility to them seriously. But when it comes to ourselves, um, you know, seriousness is not a virtue. It's it's nothing you get credit for, <laughs> you know, in the long run. And so, yeah, a yard full of crazy Christmas decorations is a one way to remind us that uh, we need to find joy. We need to spread joy and cheer. And sometimes you do that through silliness. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, speaking of silliness, we have some cookies in the studio today. I, I spent all weekend baking. Um, what... Well, did y'all put out cookies and milk for Santa Claus when your kids are growing up? We absolutely did. Um, our daughter's gluten-free, so, uh, you know, the cookies were always uh, gluten-free cookies. <laughs> I don't know how Santa feels about that. Hopefully he's not lactose intolerant, uh, but if he is gluten-free, he can always have a, a, a nice cookie at our house. So if we can uh, go back to the research that you did um, and were able to do, can you talk about how Campbell was instrumental in you uh, in that opportunity to do that research? Absolutely. It, it really is a commercial for Campbell. I mean, if, if I've had any success in any of this, it, it really is credited to Campbell. Um, you know, it was Campbell that sent me first to Italy on uh, as a study abroad director and then it was Campbell who sent me back to Italy to uh, to fund my research there at the Archive Library in Bari, Italy. Uh, it was Campbell that gave me a sabbatical leave one fall to, to write the book. And um, this Campbell that's you know had a tremendous amount of faith in me to offer a class called Santa Claus. Uh, I can imagine a lot of universities where you know they would probably just uh, they, they they would they would just laugh at you if you said I want to offer a course on Santa Claus, or I want to research Santa Claus, you know, just, they're way too serious to allow for that kind of frivolity. So, uh, you know, at every step in the journey, um, I've had support uh, from the administration and from colleagues, and yeah, I'm just eternally grateful for that. That's awesome. Um, so with this support from, from Campbell, what were the expectations on results? I mean, that's another credit to Campbell. When I first uh, took a research leave to go to Bari, Italy, and do this research, I honestly had no idea what I would find, if anything. And yet, you know, I had the confidence that uh, I would still be supported in that. I mean, there was still a sense that uh, we want you to take the risk. We want you to go and see what's there. You know, and, and if there's nothing, if it doesn't materialize in anything, um, you know, that that too will, uh, will work itself out. And so I never felt a pressure. Uh, that you know, I had to come back home and immediately produce something uh, amazing. And again, that, that gave me the freedom to take a risk, which I think in a lot of other institutions, you would not have had the freedom to take that kind of risk 
to explore St. Nicholas <laughs> on the hopes, you know, the hopes you'd find something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of been my, my own journey is, has been one of, uh, you know, again, Campbell support. So basically freedom to explore what you're passionate about with, without any pressure. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I'm absolutely a product of that freedom. And, um, you know, again, even putting something together like this Christmas edition of the lyricists, um, you know, these are student stories and these are not uh, English majors or people with uh, training in story writing. And yet there was a huge amount of support. Everybody I've talked to like, oh, we'd love to read uh, stories written by students. And, you know, that's just the kind of environment we, we have here that uh, we don't have a, uh, groups that are, you know, the in-group and the out-group say, no, you can't do this unless you're an English major or unless right. you're uh, a historian of antiquity or something like that. Uh, there's absolutely a, an, an openness to, like, everybody needs to get involved. You know, learning is not uh, something that's limited to a select few. It's It should be wide-ranging. It should allow for all kinds of crazy questions and, and allow for exploration and I, I think it's really cool what you've done with all this. It wasn't just writing a book, but I'm looking at the lyricist now on the table here, and it's decorated with a Christmas tree. And to me, as, as an artist, Leah, you may relate to this, it's taking something that you're passionate about, and you're allowing other people to create something really cool that's going to uh, g- give joy to other people that read it or look at it. Um, I think that's super cool. Well, this podcast has been kind of a creation of an art form for me and a creative outlet. And um, I'm so thankful for you, Rod, for being here to ask thoughtful questions and for putting up with my crazy questions. And thank you, Dr. English. Um, Dr. English was one of my very favorite professors when I was an undergrad here. So it's been an honor to have him in the studio with us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a true Christmas joy for me. Likewise, Dr. English, thank you so much for being on the show. The holly put up the tree before my spirit falls again. Fill up the stocking. I may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now. For we Well, continuing our Christmas-themed conversation, as this is the last episode before the end of the semester, and Christmas is right around the corner, um, Dr. English is still in the studio with us, and I thought we could chat about our Christmas traditions and our favorite things about the season. So, Rod, what is your favorite Christian uh, Christian Christmas tradition? Well, same thing. Um, I guess for me, my, uh, my biggest Christmas tradition it revolves around Campbell. Really, I mean, I love working here, and I love the way that the campus kind of slows down a little bit, and it gets it gets literally more peaceful um, with the exit of students. Um, I love the Christmas tree lighting. I love the, the we have a campus wide worship service where where every anybody that works here worships together, and then dines and eats together and fellowships. I think that's really cool. That would be my Campbell connection. Um, you know, after moving here, I kind of didn't have a Christmas tree, so so my Christmas tradition for myself is I, I live out on half an acre in the, in the country and I literally walked across a tree farm and snapped a, a Charlie Brown Christmas tree off another tree, <laughs> brought it to the house. And that was three years ago. So that's, that's what I decorate. I have about six uh, ornaments now and, um, <laughs> which is enough. Um, and I decorate it with a red blanket that I got from a flight and, uh, <laughs> that's my Christmas tradition, but I really do love, um, just everything that this season encapsulates. And that really kicked in when I moved to North Carolina and this community. 
That's awesome. Um, I share a little backstory. My, my dad is a funeral director, and um, it's kind of a dead end job. But I'm bum. Thank you. <laughs> and um, at Christmas Eve and Christmas, instead of some one person being stuck with being on call or being at the funeral home, um, they would split the shifts. And I remember when we were little, he would always try to get the Christmas Eve shift so he'd be there Christmas morning and throughout the day. And I remember being little, he'd always come home, and it'd be around 9 o'clock, and he would come in and take his coat off. And he's like, I think I saw Santa or his reindeer flying through the sky, you know, just that magic and wonder of yeah. being a little kid and um, him kind of playing along, especially, you know, he never really showed much emotion because of his job, but right. that, that's always been very special to me. Um, and that actually reminds me that Billy, our usual host, uh, had a question for you, Dr. English. He wanted to know how, if you had any tips on navigating having an eight-year-old that's starting to question things. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. That is a great question, and I, I have had it before. Um, typically, you know, when I talk about St. Nicholas with younger younger folk, uh, what I'll typically say is, you know, I want to tell you, you all know about Santa Claus, and now I want to tell you about the first Santa Claus. I mean, most kids, or even young kids, can very quickly, easily have a sense of there might be more than one, or that, um, you know, Santa Claus lived a long time ago, so I'll tell them about you know, his name was St. Nicholas. He was a Christian pastor, and he, he helped people out with acts of generosity and gift-giving. Um, so that's an easy way to make that transition. Uh, I, I struggle with it in terms of what do you tell your kids about Santa Claus. Uh, we decided with our daughter early on to, uh, you know, tell her that, you know, mommy, there's this man named St. Nicholas, and he uh, lived this wonderful life and, and did a number of acts of generosity, and that parents every year reenact those acts of generosity with their own children uh, by bringing gifts to them. And so we didn't, uh, in, other, in, in some ways, obviously we, we didn't keep up the Christmas magic. You know, we didn't say that, yes, Santa Claus is real and he lives at the North Pole. And uh, I guess partly we thought, you know, one, the story of the real St. Nicholas is more interesting anyways. Mm-hmm than uh, this fake guy that lives at the North Pole. And then secondly, we, we didn't want the situation where uh, we say, on the one hand, Christmas is about Santa Claus, who's not real. But then on the other hand, Christmas is about baby Jesus, who is real. <laughs> well, if I can't trust you on the one, how can I trust you on the other? So, you know, that, it was a struggle. And, uh, but at the end of the day, as long as the kid gets presents to open, you know, <laughs> it, really matters. it doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, I think that that wraps up our our last episode of the season. Thanks for joining us. Um, We'll be back in January uh, with a whole new slate of guests, um, people of Campbell, and telling their stories of how they got here and how Campbell's helped them along the way. Rhymes with Orange is a product of the Office of Communications and Marketing at Campbell University. Vice President for Advancement is Dr. Brett Davis with Haven Hoddle as Assistant Vice President for Communications and Marketing. Director of Visual Identity is Jonathan Bronsink and Director of Web is Nikki Zawal. Rhymes with Orange is co-produced by our Director of Marketing, Sarah Harden, usually co-hosted by Billy Liggett, but replaced by Rod Hipwell today, and me, Leah Darvis. We'll see you next semester. Until then... Go Camels.